0: We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we work and live, the Awabakal and Warramai people, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. We celebrate the stories, culture and traditions of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Elders of all communities who also work and live on this land. You're listening to Boob to Food, the podcast with Luca McCabe and Kate Holm. so much noise in the parenting space and we don't mean the tantruming toddler. We understand it can feel confusing, conflicting and overwhelming. That's why we are bringing our years of experience as a midwife, nutritionist and naturopath and of course mums so that you can confidently navigate the roller coaster of motherhood from boob to food and beyond. Each week you'll hear practical wisdom, expert advice and inspirational stories of other mums in the depths of this parenting journey. But Let's, Let's dive, dive in! Today's episode was brought to you by Made Tea.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to Boobed to Food the podcast. Welcome back, Luca.
0: How's your week been this week? Hello, Kate. It's been good. A bit of a slow week this mm-hmm. week. Being my husband's birthday, turned thirty-eight. So, not that that was that exciting for me, but it's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and. Yeah, we got a nice kid-free date night which was is always nice and yeah, very beautiful. welcome to get out of doing the nighttime routine for one night. Mm. So yeah, it was really nice to have adults chat and I talked a while ago that we had set up regular date nights, but unfortunately my nanny yeah, um, isn't here anymore, so that didn't only happened once, so the regular date nights have not been regular unfortunately. Mm. And so, yeah, it's been since that episode. I can't even remember when it was <laughs> that we had a date night. So, like, months and months. Um, yeah. So, it was really nice to like, it's always nice to remember that you actually do like each other. Mm-hmm. company and <laughs> that there is things to talk about outside of children. Yeah. I've been finding it hard at the moment because my son, my eldest son is eight now. He wants to stay up a bit later mm. than the other two kids and he'll generally, Like, play in his room and read his books and things like that. Like, he's, like, generally not with us for an extra hour. But by the time I finish singing Will 8,000 songs and, (laughs) you know, going in and out of his room 800 times because he wants another cuddle or another drink of water or, you know, everything that (laughs) he wants to do the prolonged bedtime, then when I go into Flynn's room to put him to bed, bless him, he, like, saves all his deep conversations from his heart for 8 p.m. at night and it's probably a ploy to get out of bed but it's like how do you, you know, when you have a child at school and you ask them how they go when they get home and they just grunt at you and like can't remember but then everything spills out at 8 Mm. p.m. at night or he sets up a game for me, bless him. Oh, You know, we'll play Uno or like these other games he has. and Sweetheart. It's so sweet, but I'm like, just, I get no alone time. So by the time yeah. I come out, it's like 8.40 mm-hmm. and I'm like, I'm ready for bed. And so anyway, I don't see my husband very often at the moment because I'm so, I'm yeah. ready for bed by then. So And then I just often go straight working in the evenings too, if yeah. you're not going straight yeah. to bed. Yep. So anyway, it was nice to have a date night. Yeah. Um, yeah
1: catch up that, on all of the weeks that have passed
0: since you last yeah. were having to have a conversation. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but yeah, nice. and in exciting news too, we um, hired a, a new person to the Boob to Food team, which is great. Our unicorn. A <laughs> unicorn. I put a call out for a unicorn a while ago, just someone to help me organise life and, you know, for, well, we've had Boob to Food for, since Flo was six months so it's been nearly five years and yep. you know for four of that it was just me and then in the last year we've had, had you mm-hmm. and Renee and Rach but uh, and you guys are all amazing but I've still been doing all of the I guess or not all you, you help with a lot but you're mm-hmm. going soon so <laughs> I've been doing a lot of the admin side of things and the yeah all the Instagram and socials and newsletters and everything and I love doing it all but it's kind of at the point where it's like Yeah, there's not a lot of time left in the day for anything else. So I finally have hired somebody to help um, with all of that side of things, which is amazing. Mm. So, yeah, Zoe's going to be helping us. And yeah, it's nice just to have some organisation. She's already been here for a couple of days. (laughs) I feel like we've got some systems and (laughs) yeah. She also makes me feel really old because (laughs) she's like, have you heard of this? I'm like, no. (laughs) Have you heard of this? No. Anyway, she's great. So welcome Zoe to the team. Very exciting. How's your week been? How many weeks pregnant are you now?
1: I am, oh my gosh, I can't even think. I think I'm 33. (laughs) I think I'm 33. I, yeah, I don't know. I've lost count. I have to re-listen to last week's episode to remind <laughs> myself. Um, but yeah, I, week's been good. Nothing very exciting to report. Um, but I did, We so in this episode today, we interviewed the beautiful Naomi um, from Cocoon by Naomi, who is a postpartum doula. And she um, launched a ebook, a postpartum ebook, like Mm. recipe book this week. And it was such funny timing. I knew it was coming out because we talked to her about it in the episode, but I'd sort of forgotten the timing. And I was literally like standing in the shower, my thinking time, (laughs) pondering. I was like, oh, I should probably start making some food, like to put in the freezer and, you know, getting organized for that postpartum period to make it a bit easier. And I was pondering like, oh, what am I going to cook? Thinking about the recipes that I like. And then I like, got out of the shower and later that night went on Instagram and her book was live. So I downloaded that and the recipes are awesome. I've already cooked a couple. We made the, um, there's these really yummy sweet potato, peanut butter, chocolate brownies, which my husband hates sweet potato, but we get it in our veggie box. So (laughs) that, that was a good way to use up some of the sweet potato that's been in the cupboard and the kids love them. And then, um, there was also like a really nice, um, rice pudding with like spices and things, which was, yeah, I made that for brekkie and it was very delicious. So I'm super happy to have that book, um, that I can expand my postpartum repertoire and she's like labeled which ones are freezer friendly. And it's just nice to have inspiration. Like we obviously also have a food business, but like, I love those meals, but I've been eating them on repeat for years. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) just to have like a (laughs) few more, um, ideas to call on, so. Yeah, that's mm. been my
0: week. Bit of cooking, um, and you'll have a meal train too. So yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> you won't have to cook That'd all be the food. <laughs> yes, that would be the dream. When Bowie was born, it was funny timing. Like she was just after Christmas, so we, like in a way, like lots of people have time off, but also lots of people are away. So mm. I know we had lots of people who their intention was to you know give us support, but they were literally not here. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, this will be um, really different time of year-wise.
0: Yeah. Yes, coming around quite quickly. <laughs> it is. It is. But, yeah, today we interview Naomi who is, as we kind of aforementioned, a postpartum doula and cook, and she lives with her husband and two children in the Illawarra region of New South Wales. So she actually lives yeah. and is good friends with our dietitian Renee. And she believes that every woman deserves a postpartum period that's restful, rejuvenating, and respectful of the massive transition into motherhood. Sounds like a dream.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's what, what all everyone deserves. Yeah. So anyway,
0: we hope that everyone really enjoys this episode. We talk, yeah, all about postpartum and prepping for postpartum. So hopefully if you are either going into a postpartum like Kate Mm. or even just have a friend that's pregnant and want to learn how to best support them, Um, this episode is really great for, for anyone to listen to and learn from. Hello Naomi and welcome to Booth to Food the podcast. We are super excited to have you on here. We absolutely love everything that you do and put out into this space and your own podcast. So if anyone hasn't heard of you or familiar with you, can you just let our listeners know a little bit about yourself and who's in your family and what do you do? Sure.
2: Thank you so much for having me on. It's so lovely to chat with you guys. It's quite a different experience, like face-to-face versus, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so my name's Naomi and I'm a postpartum doula. I live on in the Illawarra in New South Wales with my two kids. I've got a just turned seven-year-old this week, which blows my mind. Yeah. And she's really what kicked off my whole kind of career pivot into this mm. postpartum work. And I have a little boy who is almost three and I have cat, dog, husband, all the hairy <laughs> beasts. <laughs> um, yeah, so I do postpartum education and work with clients and I used to have a postpartum food delivery service in Sydney and I'm just really passionate about postpartum and, and storytelling really.
0: Mm. Yeah, when you do it so well yeah. and you you get to be friends in real life with our beautiful dietitian Renee, so yeah. we're, jeal- we're jealous oh, yeah. that you get to catch up. We might have it's to plan our road. Christmas party down that way Yeah, so we can all have a little little <laughs> foodie catch up. Yeah, <laughs> it's so nice down there. I'm, yeah, slightly jealous that you live down there. But anyway, today is all about postpartum, like you said, and you're really passionate about it as a we and we think that – yeah, it's so important to talk about and prepare for ahead of time before you have your baby. And I guess as Kate's preparing for her mm-hmm. third postpartum, going to be taking notes. Yeah, very <laughs> timely conversation. But why do you think it is important to prepare for postpartum?
2: Well, if you don't pre- prepare for postpartum, it's a shit show, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a combination of being educated and knowledge really is power when it comes to postpartum just understanding what the hell is going on with your body with crazy wild newborn behavior with you know all of those things if you understand it it makes it so much easier to handle it doesn't make it oh it's a walk in the park but once you get it it's way less confusing and overwhelming and then i think just on a really practical level level gathering your support filling your freezer, getting set up. Like it's always going to be, whether it's your first baby or your fourth baby, it's that entry into motherhood, first-time motherhood, fourth-time motherhood, whatever, is going to be full-on, transitional, it's matrescence, it's hardcore, but we want to make it a softer landing as possible Mm. and that's where prepping can really, really help. Like I cannot emphasise it enough. For me, when I had my first baby back in 2016, there was no chat about postpartum. Mm. There was chat about the fourth trimester from the baby's perspective, yep. but there were no podcasts. There was no... um no books, there was no first 40 days, nothing. Mm. And I thought that I was doing a great job putting together a Pinterest board with nursery <laughs> ideas mm. and buying cute onesies. And, you know, I think the, the furthest I got was sort of buying maternity pads and maybe freezing one meal. Mm. um That to me was it. And then I had, I prepared a lot for the birth. I had a, a tricky birth with my daughter, which didn't pan out the way that I kind of planned it. Mm. But not only that, so I came home kind of dealing with birth trauma, I then was just thrown into this whole new role with a baby that I thought you wrapped up a baby, you put them down in a bassinet and that peacefully slept. (laughs) And and I also thought the best thing for me to do would be to go on long walks. Like Mm. That would be the best thing for my body. And, you know, there's just a cultural forgetting, which I think women of our generation are starting to really reclaim. And it's really lovely to have seen, you know, as I said, my daughter's just turned seven and I'm really have noticed a big shift in the way that we talk about postpartum um, and the way that we've reclaimed it and started to talk about you need to prep for postpartum. Like I always say the, like just thinking about the birth is just like thinking about only the wedding and not the marriage. Like you've mm-hmm. got to think about what comes after. Like, what, what is the point of thinking? Like, don't, don't get me wrong, birth is super important. It's, yeah. mm. you know, hugely transformational. I'm very pro birth prep as well, but I would love to see equal amounts of time spent on postpartum preparation and really kind of getting our head in the game and really getting our community around yeah. us as well on the same page.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: It is so important. And I think as well, you know, doing it in a time before it occurs so you actually have that mental bandwidth to make some decisions and to think clearly and think about what you need and and know where to go as well if you you know do find yourself in a tricky spot or you've ended up somewhere that you didn't expect so 100%
2: you don't want to find yourself sleep deprived hormonal mm. bleeding leaking and then trying to track mm. down you know the support that you need or then asking for help when you're already vulnerable it's it really pays off when you do mm. that preparation and then, you know this is often the biggest particularly the first time around but every time mm. this is these are huge Milestones, huge rites of passage, huge yeah. transitional moments in a woman and birthing person's life. you know it's massive, mm. yeah,
1: and so what are some practical strategies you'd recommend when someone's prepping for their postpartum and starting to think about this sort of space?
2: yeah, there's so much um I've actually got a whole course dedicated to this amazing, and I will link it <laughs> <laughs> I think it comes down to, like I said, education and understanding, so things like Understanding what normal biological newborn behavior is and you know, feeding, sleeping, not sleeping, um, <laughs> you know, all of those things, like why do babies want to be on us all the time? Like really kind of understanding that biological imperative for babies yep. and, and why it's normal and it's okay. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, Auntie Janet says you're spoiling your baby by holding too much, you can feel <laughs> confident in being yeah. like actually no, yeah. <laughs> um, this is what they really need. Yeah. Um, so I think it's partly that and partly an understanding of really what kind of un- what's going on in your body. But also, yeah, the really practical kind of stuff is having the conversations with if you're partnered, having the conversation with your partner um, and thinking about the tiers of support that you've got in your life. So I often talk about it as you've kind of like, if you imagine a rainbow shape, so you've got your inner kind of rainbow and that's your closest people. That might be your partner, sister, you know, mother, whoever's you're really close. I always say the the um, kind of test the litmus test for it is are you comfortable being topless around them? If you are <laughs> <laughs> if you are then because you probably I... would be. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah. Literally. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, don't be like me and let your husband's friend come over at 10 days postpartum who you barely know mm. and then be desperately trying to latch a baby on underneath mm. a uh um sure like it just yeah don't do that. Um mm. think of the people who you're super comfortable with those are the people who are your your um first tier. Then your second tier is your community. So that might be people like their friends, work colleagues, um, you know, extended family, people who are definitely part of your community. Um, maybe it's people that you know through yoga class or, you know, round and about. And those are the people who can help support you with um, sort of less emotional support but more the practical stuff like they can be part of a meal train. We'll, I know we'll probably mm. talk a bit more about that later. Um, you know, they can pick up, you know, neighbours can help put bins out or take a dog for a walk or pick up a um, bag of groceries for you when you just need something quickly or do a chemist run, those sorts of people. And then the third tier is your um, professional supports. So that's people like an IBCLC, um, you know, an osteo or a chiropractor or um, a women's health physio or anyone who's going to really bring that professional expertise to the table um, and help fill those gaps and help you with your healing and your recovery, you know, psychologists, therapists, all of those kinds of people. So having a, a real think about those people. I mean, I even say like before you get pregnant, as part of your preconception care, mm. you might want to have a think about putting 10 bucks a week aside into a dedicated postpartum fund, which is what I did second time around. So you can, you know, the thought of accessing all that professional care is daunting when you're already in um, postpartum and you're on parental leave and, you know, mm. maybe money is a bit tighter. But if you've been putting away a bit of money for months and months and months, that means that you you probably do have the ability to access some of that mm-hmm. support. So even thinking about this stuff, it's never too early yeah. to think about prepping for postpartum, to be honest.
0: And if you don't um, use the money, you could just go on a on a holiday. So
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, girls, a, girl,
0: a girl's holiday a year later when you need a yeah. break. <laughs> I'll exactly. I'm sure it'll get used. But yeah, that's a really good really good tip about the rainbow um support system i think it's a good visual for people to mm. to look yeah. at and i guess another way to look at it too is like if someone's coming over i always say like, would you be feel comfortable with them doing your washing or mm-hmm putting the dishes away or doing things because Mm. if not, then they probably, and if they don't feel comfortable, then they probably shouldn't be there in that first few days especially.
2: 100%.
0: And I think that's Mm. where
2: it's really important to, if you are partnered, to get your partner on the same page and have the conversation around, you know, how do we want our postpartum to feel? Because it Mm. is, I mean, it's, it's you know, as the birthing person, it's really your postpartum, but they're that integral you know, p- part of it as well. They're probably going to be your number one person. But I'd never, like, I think too often people go, well, I've got my partner, they've got a bit of time off and I've got my mm. mom, and that's fine. It's actually, we, we need a lot more than that. Um But getting those people on the same page going, what do we want to do about visitors? Do we want it to be the first week or so, just us, and getting used to that dynamic while, you know, we're establishing breastfeeding. Like, what do we... What do we want that to look and feel like and having those conversations ahead of time mm. and kind of prepping them to be the gatekeeper and the, cause you, it's important that, you know, you have the boundary as well, but you're also going to be raw, vulnerable, mm. bleeding, hormonal, teary, you know, potentially all of those things and having them understand that, okay, some, someone's come and they need to be told to bring a meal. They mm. need to be told, you know, that, you know, maybe not at this time because that afternoons are not a great time for the baby at the moment or, you know, they really need to feel comfortable with upholding those boundaries and, you know, sometimes enforcing them. If someone rocks up two days postpartum and they've been told not to physically, (laughs) you know, being like, thank you so much, nice to see you and we'll see you in a week. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely important to have your partner, uh, yeah, on board because you... I don't know, there's those hormones that are going on. You just don't have that emotional bandwidth to, I think you've got all this oxytocin going on, which is like this peace and love hormone. (laughs) And so all you want to do is live in this little peace and love bubble. So for anyone to disrupt that is really hard. And then also it's like you just lose this ability to to say it in a nice way. It's like you're (laughs) either just completely emotional and erratic or Mm. you just make do because you've got this, you know, hormone that you just want to be in peace and love with everybody that comes in <laughs> yeah, um, and protect that bubble. But, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, our partners might have the this, this sleep deprivation going on and things, but they haven't got the hormonal changes. So mm. they've got more of that emotional and mental stability to be able to do that. And, yeah, yeah I think having those conversations early is really important so that yeah. we're not just yelling at our partner to do something they didn't know they were meant to do. <laughs> Which is probably what I did.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it's what I did too. I think as well it's like, you know, we're so culturally conditioned to, as women, be kind of compliant and play nice and, um, you know, be the one, like it's, I see it, I did it myself. Like my parents, I remember once my parents came over at lunchtime, they didn't bring anything to eat. Mm-hmm. I ended up feeding them a curry that a friend had dropped around the night before for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I remember making them cups of tea. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's just, we're so kind of conditioned to accommodate and and do that. But in mm-hmm. postpartum, it's totally inappropriate. It's not supportive of our healing and our recovery. And. If you don't know that, then it's too easy to slip into that role and feel like you have to host people. Like I see it all totally. the time. It breaks my heart. Like people being like, oh, you know, I had 18 cousins rock up and I had yeah. to put on,
1: you know, a morning tea for them. It's just like, oh, my God, no. Yeah, I have actually this a similar experience with my first and it was day who or like within the early couple of days and we had this particular day where um, there was a lot of visitors, family and I didn't speak up for myself and like <laughs> – look back and so it meant my baby was out of my arms for a lot of the day and you know they're super sleepy at that time so everyone's like oh it's so great like I got him to sleep and then they just hold the baby while he's sleeping and meanwhile I'm just feeling this rising anxiety because I've got I can see him I can see he's safe it's not anything about that but you know you just want them close it doesn't feel like instinctually right to not have them on your body and and then I, but I didn't say anything. And so there's these photos of the day, which I think are like looked back on really fondly for everybody else because they're holding this fresh baby. And meanwhile, I'm just sort of in the background, like, and I know what I was going through on that day. And it's like brings up so much sadness for me because, yeah, it's really hard to take off that, like, People pleaser, like I'm just gonna, you know. And I think it is also a shift in, like we said, this conversation is so recent that yeah. people are starting to acknowledge the how sacred and how important that, um, well, I should say, people in Western, in the Western <laughs> world, because it's obviously been really cherished in mm. a lot of other cultures. Um, so it's like quite new to be having that conversation and to be stating those boundaries. And I definitely yes. didn't do it well. First time around, and maybe like slightly improved, but still not great. Second time around, <laughs> you got no. another chance. I know. <laughs> oh gosh, it, thinking about it brings up so much anxiety for me. Like, oh. but yeah, I think it's it is so important, and especially, it's not just an adjustment for the mum. It's an adjustment for the baby. It's an adjustment for other siblings. It's just like yeah, really protecting that space and how that will look is different for everyone. Like I know Luca loves having people around, so for you, it's like I want to see. The right people obviously and if it's the right, right it's
0: people. the right people yeah the <laughs> people that yeah like you said Naomi that you can feed in front of without an issue or yeah your house can be an absolute shit show and it doesn't matter and no one will judge you or yeah that won't expect you to I have the worst story should, <laughs> this is I shouldn't put my husband down because he's amazing and he very much learned by the third time he was amazing <laughs> so I just want to preface that before I throw him under the bus um, but as, uh, when I had flow, so my middle child, like like I with you know me, like my youngest son's nearly eight. So back then there was absolutely no conversation about any of this stuff, and I don't know. I just kind of martyred through it, and I was mm. fine, and like just seemed I seemed okay. But the second time it hit me a bit more. I don't know if it was because there was a little bit more of conversation around, and I was more aware of what I wanted. Um, and unexpected, so I think my expectations were quite high, but i didn't learn to communicate it in the way that mm. I did the third time, anyway, but I had a really like long labour with Florence, so you know all up all night the mm. whole night, and it was my husband's very first all nighter he'd ever done in his life. And his nickname is Big Dog because um he goes to bed when Big Dog does because he loves sleep and he just he doesn't function without it. Like he yeah, he's he's always in bed by like eight o'clock. He's funny. Anyway. So he like was up for the first time in his whole life all night and he really didn't cope well <laughs> with it. And the whole next day he was like, I could see he wanted to whinge, but he wasn't. Um anyway. My parents came over to, to meet Flo and I'd been up. I hadn't slept at all like it was – and they had had Flynn for me for like the labour so they came to bring him back. So I obviously wanted to be awake and see them. And anyway, he just like made himself a meal in the kitchen like, and didn't offer me or anyone. <laughs> and my parents didn't bring anything either but uh, they made stuff later on. But anyway um, – didn't make anything and my mum was like are you gonna offer you like luke or anything and he was just like oh like oh i ate it all already like there's nothing oh, anyway i've totally never crazy. let him forget i've never let him forget that i was like day zero jesse i was so angry at you. i was like and i was like you think you've been up all night i was like try and be bloody what i've just gone through anyway anyway He lived and learned. He lived and learned, put it that way. (laughs) I was very clear the third time around (laughs) that if you ever make yourself anything, you offer it to me. (laughs) And he did. He learned. But that's the thing. It's about having these um, conversations, isn't it? Like not just expecting. I think, Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's just me, but I think so many women do this and just expect like Mother's Day every year, you expect, you know, all this stuff but you're always let down. And I feel like yeah. postpartum can be similar. You expect but no one knows. And I guess no, that's where
1: getting clear on that like postpartum planning is really yeah. good. So that you actually even know what you want or what you need yeah. because until you give it some consideration or until you're in it, you might not even know yourself <laughs> what's important yeah yeah I actually as part of my course I did like
2: separate videos that you can show your partner and you can oh, show great. your grand, the grandparents and you can show like your besties and stuff because I do think it's really important like exactly mm. this like they don't they don't know unless they're told and I know for myself that like I it's resentment city like if I if my husband doesn't just get it and first time around like we really hit a real rocky patch in our marriage about two one and a half years into our first baby Mm -hmm. um because I just couldn't get him to understand and I wasn't communicating enough um and I was just getting so resentful and I just feel like you know, it feels almost trite to say, oh, just communication is key. But like, it's really, you have to communicate it, but there also has to be a base level of knowledge. And I think that's often where third parties, like whether it's Doing a postpartum planning session mm-hmm. or, you know, doing a course or doing a, a workshop or what, or reading a book or listening to podcasts like these, yep. sending them just, <laughs> gentle, <laughs> just, <laughs> just <laughs> um, you know, that's where it really makes them go, oh, okay, like I get it. It's not just, you know, it's not like you're being a princess. Like there is evidence around mm-hmm. this. We know that, said, like, there are certain things that is actually been shown to be five social structures in um, cultures which don't have the high rates of postpartum mood disorders that Mm -hmm. we do here in Australia and in Western cultures, that, um, you know, they don't have those kind of problems. And we know that we can do certain things. And it's not like any of it is real rocket science either. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Like it's not, you don't have to be an expert in this stuff. It just comes down to really caring for the mother, centering her experience, yep. making sure she's lying the fuck down
0: and, and being fed. Yeah, <laughs> Not being feeding herself. It's so true, mm. and I think when you hear it from someone else, like your videos that you were saying, it's just nice when someone else says it. Yeah, that it doesn't come <laughs> from you. And I guess okay. that's a big thing that comes up is in relationships. Like, how can we safeguard our relationship when? I don't know, we're not going to show up for our partner in the same way that we were going to and maybe like they have that expectation of us to be just like we were and then we have this expectation mm-hmm. of them to be more so than what they were before and, yeah, how do we navigate that?
2: It's really tricky and I think that, you know, it starts at the beginning pre-baby and it starts by having exactly those conversations and um recognising that things are going to shift and it doesn't mean that, our uh, you know, you're not ever going to have sex again or your marriage is going to be boring or it's always going to be about the kids. But, you know, kids do change the relationship dynamic. That's just the reality of it. Um, And I think kind of for partners to understand the kind of mother-baby dyad concept, um, because I think, you know, often um, you know, particularly dads, they really want to be, um, these, these men are sort of, of the hands-on dad generation, which is lovely. But understanding that in that newborn phase, it's really about the mother-baby diet or the, you know, mother-birthing person diet. And it's really about um, supporting that diet to, um, to stay whole and healthy. So not about oh, how can I bond with the baby? And I need to give the baby bottle. I need to like, of course mm. they need to bond with the baby. And there's lots of ways they can do that. But instead of having that as the number one goal, thinking about, well, how can I, how can I make sure that she's okay? So the baby's okay. Um, you know, taking on the role, leaning into the role as protector and mm. gatekeeper and, you know, upholder of boundaries and protector of energy and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and, I think that, that that side of things is really important talking about what is our available joy now. Okay, so you're not going on a sexy weekend away or you know fancy dinners out necessarily. Um but you know what is our available joy with each other? What is what is it? What does it look like for us now? Is it that on a Friday night we make it a ritual to have a glass of wine and um, you know, watch a, a favorite movie or like make it our thing that, you know, no matter what, that's what kind of happens. Mm-hmm. Is it that, you know, you, you read, you do something to like you are reading a book together. You're listening to the same audio book. You talk like whatever it is, but what is that available joy for you? And then I think as well, yes, you're not going to be having the kind of time and space to do the relationship stuff you maybe were before, but taking a moment each day to sort check in and you know whether that's when you wake up and it's you know it's so often like when you have a little baby it's all about how do they sleep and what are that and what's mm. this and what's that and what blah 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 but actually just going, how are you? Mm. How are you going? What do you need today? And that goes for you know the non-birthing parent too mm. yeah. because they are doing a big job of supporting as well. And I think it really pays off if you can like I had a postpartum doula who came to be with me which meant that Michael could go off for a couple of hours and sit at a coffee shop and read his book and that filled his cup so that he could then come back and you know continue to support me so I think it's you know every day it's about well what what do you each need I think it's too easy to get into that point scoring thing Um, like I've been there many times Mm -hmm. (laughs) but trying to keep remembering that if you can operate as a team as much as possible um, and keep that communication going and keep the compassion going on both sides and also call them out on their shit if they're really (laughs) not,
1: you know. If they make a meal for
2: themselves
0: and not for you. Yeah, that.
2: (laughs) And then, you know, I think there's also, there's lots of great resources out there. There's a fantastic um, game that I always recommend to clients which is called... um, play yum it's you me and us and it's all mm. it's 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 really cool it's designed by two um, relationship therapists who are married and yeah, kind of based on what they went through as well. Anyway, um, there's lots of great resources out there and there is absolutely no shame in going and seeking, you know, some therapy around this stuff because it is, we know that statistically mm. the first three years of a first child's life, that's when relationships, um, take a serious dive in terms of satisfaction. Mm. Um, so it's, it's a big
0: time. Yeah, you can see why. You just yeah, see totally. Sleeps in the night, sleep deprived, no sex drive. Yeah. Like it's just, you, yeah, you just don't even get to talk to each other without someone screaming at you or talking over you or, you yeah.
1: yeah. And I think as well like a young child's needs, like they, I mean, your partner needs you also but it's in different ways. Like their needs yeah. are less about survival (laughs) Mm -hmm. and but like you know you have these little people who need you to clothe them bathe them feed them soothe them like do all of those things so it's very easy for your attention to shift onto the children and then I know I've done this and it's kind of like oh well you know Mike's an adult like he can fend for himself but there's still that need for connection in the relationship and and both ways um I think, yeah, just really being mindful of protecting that, like the mother-baby dyad and then the family unit as well. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also not expecting
2: to be able to do that unless you have support. Yeah. I think all of this comes down, like you can't do any of this stuff. You can't rest. You can't have a good relationship unless you've got the support there, you know, whether that looks like a babysitter, a doula, a grandparent, whatever to help facilitate this kind of stuff because you know it's all very well to say these things but if you are run to the ground Mm. you're not going to have anything to give really
0: to anyone Um, Mm. yeah we'll be back after this short break today's episode was brought to you by made tea made tea was born out of a deep love for the natural healing properties of plants by naturopath kate dalton the teas have been made using certified organic ingredients, they are hand blended, naturopath formulated, free from artificial colours and flavours and delivered in recyclable packaging. They are so
1: beautiful, I kind of don't dare look on the website because I find it too dangerous <laughs> most of the time but they have an amazing nurse nursing tea which is so great for new mums and actually for babies as well if mum is breastfeeding. It contains herbs such as lemongrass, lemon balm, fennel, aniseed, fenugreek and blue cornflowers so it's a Beautiful blend not only to support mum's milk supply but also settle her nervous system, support
0: bub's nervous system and support bub's digestion too. I absolutely love their latte powders as well. The chai one is so nice especially in the winter months. So Kate you can actually go on the website because we have a (laughs) discount code which is boob to food for 15% off your order until the end of August. Visit maytea.com that's m-a-y-d-e-t.com. Now let's get
1: back to today's episode.
0: Mm. Yep. And So can we do anything pre-postpartum to prepare for our mental health, um, like learning any coping strategies or anything for when we're in the thick of it and just can't use that part of our brain? <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. I think you really can. I think um... – if you don't already have a great therapist, finding someone who you can chat with because having that neutral person is so helpful Mm -hmm. Um, and there's some great resources out there like Panda and the Gidget Foundation Mm -hmm. for once you have the baby. But I think it's really helpful having those, whether it's a, you know, a psychologist or whether it's even, you know, someone like a kinesiologist or an acupuncturist Mm -hmm. who, you know, they're they're kind of used to holding space Mm, Um, and, I think having someone like that as part of your kind of professional support tier is is really important, someone who's great at listening. Um, I also think we understanding how the nervous system kind of works and how it works in postpartum and the role of oxytocin. Mm -hmm. So one of my favourite postpartum mantras is protect the oxytocin. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the number one thing which, you know, you can sort of teach partner, teach your parents, teach anyone. It's like, we really want to keep that love hormone pumping as much as possible, which will mean that your mood stays relatively stable as much as it can. Mm. Um, you know, it helps with things like wound healing. It helps yes. with um, breast milk supply and letdown. It's just going to make things run a little bit more smoothly. So in rather than waiting until you feel like absolute shit, yeah thinking about writing it down so you don't have to like try and remember um while you're in the thick of postpartum, what are some of the things that make me feel good, give me that warm and fuzzy feeling? And what's a avail- like that available joy kind mm. of concept? Because obviously, you know, if your thing is going skydiving, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> but you know, maybe you like actually I've really been meaning to rewatch Seinfeld or like mm-hmm. I um I love having my hair brushed like my, a friend of mine who had a baby, she was like, can you just brush my hair? I was like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> like maybe like a foot rub. Maybe like it doesn't have to be, you don't have to pay money for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but thinking about those those things, like putting your feet in the grass with a warm cup of tea, the small mm-hmm. rituals that just help top up that oxytocin, that's going to go a long way just to keep you feeling good in, in the day-to-day.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but having said that, like postpartum mood disorders are so real it's Mm. and they're not going to be helped by a cup of tea and I don't Mm. want to make it sound like that's all you need to do that's where you really need the people around you who can be like right time for a a reverse sleep in it's 8 Mm. p.m you need to go to bed I'm taking the baby we'll go for a walk in the carrier you know you need to have a deep, like Because sleep is such a big part of mental health, right? And the reality is that babies just aren't going to give you those nights of unbroken sleep that you need. So we've got to find ways for you to get the rest, you know, having the naps, planning for early bedtimes and having those people around you who are educated enough in what you need to say, okay, like today's been a shit day, like go to bed early, let me make you the warming um, warm, nourishing, comforting food that mm. we know is helpful. Um, you know whether it's you know getting herbal supplements from your naturopath, whatever the case might be, um, and then absolutely seeking support from the good listener in your in your professional tiers, you know, mm-hmm. good GP the, um, you know, the therapist, all of those people who will really help support it. But all of these things we can plan for ahead of time. We might not know until we're in the thick of it, what will happen. Mm. I remember I called Panda a few times when I had postnatal anxiety and my daughter was tiny and I felt like, I just felt absolutely terrible. And one thing that one of the beautiful counsellors on the other end of the phone said to me, which I always love to pass on because I'd spiral. Like it would be the end of the day. The sun would be going down. Mm-hmm. She was born in winter, so it'd be going down quite early. And I'd get this feeling in the pit of my stomach of just dread. Um, and I'd feel I'd be catastrophizing and spiraling into, oh my God, what if we have another night like not last night? What if she screams for another five hours? What if she won't sleep? And this beautiful woman said to me, she's like, okay, so what if in that moment that you start to go there, you just take a breath and you say, what do I need in this moment? What does my baby need in this moment? And just stick to this moment. Mm. And I think that stayed with me because so often in parenting, not just even in babyhood, like even now, I'm looking at my seven year old going, Oh my God, what's she going to be like as a teenager? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, if we can just try and stay present to that kind of what do I need in this moment to make me feel good? And what is my baby needing from me? You know, do they need a cuddle? Do they need a feed? Do they need, you know, a bump hat in the carrier? Like, whatever it is, mm. trying just to stay in that moment and go from moment to moment.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's such beautiful advice. I feel like I want to get protect the oxytocin like printed on a sign (laughs) on my door, put it on the fridge, like stick it (laughs) everywhere. (laughs) I think that's such, yeah, such incredible advice and, you know, like we said that postnatal mood disorders are not necessarily just related to oxytocin, but if we think about the things that we can control, like that's an amazing place to start. And even, you know, the simple things of there's so much that again like kind of instinctively happens when you have a new baby like skin-to-skin contact that's going to increase that oxytocin like Mm -hmm. smelling their little heads and like (laughs) all of those things that we can do just staying close to our babies and Mm -hmm. checking in with ourselves as much as we're checking in with our partners as well to make sure that yeah we're feeling those loving
0: I feel like it's also probably important to like realize what what makes you feel relaxed Mm. um so say for me, I don't feel relaxed unless the house is clean mm-hmm. and that's a really big thing and I think a lot of, I feel like a lot of women would be like mm-hmm. this. Um, yeah, And it's like I want to rest and I want to sleep when the baby sleeps mm. <laughs> as a. but you know you want to do that but then you're looking at the dishes or you're looking at the floor that needs vacuuming and you think not me
1: (laughs) (laughs) that sort of stuff just like sometimes Mike's like how could you not notice that I'm like I don't know I just I don't
2: know. Oh. <laughs> for me, like for me, it was the the compost bin. If the compost oh, bin is yeah. full, and I can, I was just like, and I said that specifically to my husband. I'm like, do yep. not let that compost bin get full, yep. because I won't be able to relax it, exactly. And it's kind, mm. it, it's really
0: important to start thinking about that stuff yeah. ahead of time. And part this is part of the conversations to have. Totally. Like, there's other things that, like, I couldn't care less if the laundry piles up. You know, like whatever that that. Doesn't really bother me. But I I think it's because I can't see it. It's in a different room. (laughs) Whereas if I'm like something about, I just really can't have dishes after Mm. any meal ever out. It just really bugs me. They have to be washed immediately. And all like put in the dishwasher, hidden out of my viewpoint, mm. and so yeah, I made that really clear with my partner for the my husband for the yeah. third um, time. I was like, I just don't want to look at dishes, and then mm-hmm. I'll be able to relax, you know. So mm-hmm. I think it's just realizing what it is that might trigger you, or what will allow you to to relax, and it'll be different for everybody. But yeah. having 100%. a think about that,
2: yeah, yeah. Um, I'll just share the five things that anthropologists found that yeah. were protective of new mothers' um, mental health in developing countries where they're basically baby blues don't really happen. And it's Mm -hmm. usually we find that it's these cultures which have a really strong um a strong tradition of caring so the five things were a distinct postpartum period which was really about rest and recuperation um, and it's where other women would help in the house and kind of help mentor the mother um, physical rituals that protect the mother's body so um, ritual bathing hair washing belly binding herbal supports Social seclusion and mandated rest. So things like it might not be you know for weeks and weeks on end, but like those first few days of being with only very um, trusted people, um, functional assistance. So that's things like help with older siblings, housework, you know, <laughs> vacuuming, mm-hmm. um, clearing out the compost bin, <laughs> meals, and that would often that would either be people coming over or even people moving in, or you know, um, families moving in with other. Um, members of the family and then finally social recognition of Mm. um a mother's new role and status so it's Mm. it's not actually so much about the baby it's just it's equally if not more about um the mother with social rituals and gifts and special meals and things like that so Mm. these are the way that other cultures get it right and if we you know it it might sound quite different to how we do things but it's you know I think we can imagine
1: ways that that can happen yep. in that do, doesn't feel too weird to us. Mm. Actually when we interviewed Dr Oscar Serolac on the the podcast he said that in some cultures the mother actually her name changes for a period of time to recognize that new role and that new like person essentially she is in the world Um, I don't know what it changes to (laughs) but (laughs) I thought like it's it is that um you know just something really distinct to be like you're you're different now and honoring what you've been through and this new version of you and yeah rallying like truly Mm -hmm. that village around Mm -hmm. the mother so that she can have rest and recovery and time to bond and yeah it's so interesting I think we have so many things that we, you know, consider to be advances in the Western world, yet when we look at certain aspects of whether it's to do with parenting or I'm sure many other aspects of just life, there's ways in which the way we do it is clearly having a really profoundly negative effect on yes. on things. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: there's um there's a tribe in Uganda. I can't remember the name of the tribe, but they have a ritual Where, um, once the mother and baby have made it through the first three months, they're paraded through. The village (laughs) with a like amazing headdress on, and they sing them the songs that they sing to warriors who've come home from battle. Oh
1: wow! And (laughs) when I
2: I was I found out about that when I was doing my postpartum doula training, I was like, yes. (laughs) 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 You know, when you get through it, like I remember first time around, like looking at other women on the street with babies and being like, wow, uh, you did that too! Holy shit! Like it's so (laughs) it's so big, and yeah, I think you know, kind of, there's so much noise out there around, Mm. you know, you should do this, you should do that. And and so much of it comes from a really, really outdated view of babies. And I really Mm. love that we're getting back to, okay, what's the actual neurodevelopmental stuff going on? What's the actual biological stuff going on? Because you can't really, you know, well, you can, but like, it's a battle if you start fighting that stuff with babies.
0: Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it's definitely just finding what works for you, isn't it? Yeah. I always think, yes. yeah. you know, you read these books and things about the confinement periods and the 40 mm-hmm. days and that would send me into <laughs> personal depression. If yeah. I sat in my room for 40 days, I would be a different person in a bad yeah. way. Yeah. Like, that, to me, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's be so heaven. blissful. <laughs>
1: like I, I've actually thought, so I years ago, Unrelated, did the Vipassana um, meditation, like, course and so it's 10 days and you're in silence for the whole 10 days and and I
0: loved it honestly it was like
1: the relief when they said I mean I love this I love having these conversations but I definitely am more introverted by nature and so when you know the little bell rang and it was like okay now you stop talking and you're not literally not talking again for 10 days Mm. like,
0: oh (laughs) that's amazing but I thought you'd be like quietly going crazy I remember like when I used to do um I worked for a while in the home maternity service and Mm. you'd go to all sorts of houses and places and um you know for that first five days up to two weeks of of having a baby and so many um so many houses you would go to. All the curtains were shut. Everything was black, dark, and I'd be like, "Oh, this is horrible!" And I'd open everything up, like, <laughs> "You need sunshine." And then I had to think, and I was like, "Actually, some people probably don't want, <laughs> don't want that." Like some people that say little cocoon of darkness. Yeah. But for me, yep. I was like, "No, like for me to be happy, I need sunshine and light." And so it's, it's yeah, it's finding what yeah. Well, well, I mean, yeah. I still think everyone needs a bit of sunshine for your vitamin yeah. D, But you know, 100%. it's it's yeah. it's finding what makes you feel comfortable, what makes you feel yeah. supported and cocooned. Yeah,
2: and I think adapting stuff. Like I yeah. think both adapting kind of these postpartum rituals that we can draw on and in, yes. be inspired by, mm-hmm. and adapting that to a way that works for your life. But also, you know, there is a trap that I think people can fall into pre-baby. And I mean, I did it myself. Like I was kind of like, oh my God, I feel terrible. What's going to make me feel better? Right. Fresh air and a long walk. Mm-hmm. And I had a prolapse, like mm-hmm. bad idea. Um, you know, okay. Big, nice salad and cold, crunchy yeah. fruit, yeah. not ideal for postpartum digestion. So thinking, okay, I know that I like fresh air and a long walk, but what, how can I adapt that to make mm-hmm. it postpartum appropriate and supportive. And maybe that looks like, um, you know, getting outside with the sun on your face and, Mm. you know, your feet in the grass and like getting that fresh air, but doing it in a, you know, getting on the yoga mat, doing some stretches, but just adapting it to what works for you. So it's like kind of holding both those things like, okay, what do I know from all my beautiful education that I've done about what my body and brain needs in postpartum? And how do I make that work for my personal preferences and my, kind of lifestyle because I just can't bear seeing people who are like three days postpartum Mm -hmm. pushing the pram a kilometre away to sit Mm -hmm. on a hard cafe chair for three hours. And I'm just like, your poor pelvic floor. Like there are some (laughs) physiological realities that we need to consider, but it doesn't mean that you have to, you know, shut yourself away for 40 days. Although I do think lying the fuck down like that's my other postpartum <laughs> mantra lying the fuck down for the first two weeks as much as possible and yeah. pe- let people come to you like let the kids come to you in bed let the yeah. family come to you but having those first two weeks sort of centered around rest horizontal rest is definitely worth prioritizing I reckon
0: yeah. I think that's what I've found the hardest the time around was the other two kids mm. yeah like they There's a lot of feelings, isn't it? There's so much guilt that, you know, you're not giving them the attention that they need and then you're like, well, I need to rest, but then I feel guilty for resting. And it's, it's, I guess it gets come back to the planning again, like, that's if I was to ever have a fourth, which I'm not, um, (laughs) unless one surprises me, is that's probably one thing I would do different is plan for the other kids Mm -hmm. so plan for them to go to other like they they would be so stoked to go to their friends houses and I don't necessarily need to be there yeah and you know planning these things like when the baby comes to my friends like hey would you take them like but with the park with you when you go and I'll just you know I probably would go to be honest but you know (laughs) (laughs) like just doing things that that would keep them more entertained that I wouldn't feel as guilty about and asking in advance because. Yeah, I found that probably the hardest thing the time around.
1: And I think as well, so much of the change that's happening, it's not visual. You can't like see it externally. Mm -hmm. And so it's remembering that, you know, you do have this big wound that's healing on the inside, no matter how your baby's been delivered. It's, you know, you've got so much changing internally in terms of wound healing, as well as hormonally, obviously those shifts occurring. And so, yeah, I, I definitely made this mistake with, number two because I felt great and then Mm. a few days later I didn't jump on the trampoline but my son asked me to come on the trampoline and we were like bouncing a little bit and I was like oh I think I feel up to this and then very quickly my body was like absolutely not (laughs) you are not up to this and I had like it wasn't a postpartum hemorrhage but there was a significant increase in bleeding and it's like oh yeah I'm supposed to be lying down (laughs) or bleeding seems often like a
2: good signal from your body to (laughs) often you'll find that the bleeding tapers off you feel great you start doing a little bit too much yes bleeding kicks back up again or the other common one signs of mastitis start coming up and I always say like there's lots of things you can do for mastitis but the number one thing is rest because it's often a sign that you're getting run down and yeah I think having um, a second third fourth child like that's all I found it it a lot trickier too with my Mm -hmm. second um, and I felt guilty and I also felt irritated with her that she was kind of all over the baby and all. And I think I had to, one of the things that I can't remember who said it, but I had someone say like rather than focusing on you stepping back, Mm -hmm. focus on who steps up and who steps in and think about rather than worrying about your bond with your child, the older child, think about all the ways that they're building that bond with a grandparent, a trusted caregiver, you know, and it is, it does come down to being able to ask for help. So there's two, like it's the two sides of the same coin, having boundaries Mm. and asking for help. Mm. Um, And I think both of those things for most people, myself included, are really, really hard to do. Um, But it's important to start flexing that muscle in pregnancy. Mm. Like ask friends to take them to the park or, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I'm just beginning to recognise the joys of that around school, like being able yeah. to be like, oh, wow, you can take my daughter to dance class.
0: Awesome. Like yeah. I'm leaning into
2: that heart at the moment.
0: Actually, that was the thing I think honestly that that saved me in my postpartum with Will was um, a couple of my beautiful school mum friends did the school um, mm. drop off and pick up for me most days mm. for months? Mm. And they're like, it's not, it's not a, they're like, it's not a. And then we went, went into COVID and had lockdown, oh, yeah. school, So that was actually good because we didn't have to do the school run. Yeah. <laughs> but like, just for someone else to do that, it, and then they were like, we're going there anyway, we go past yeah. your house anyway, it's yeah. no problem. And I would, I honestly still am like so grateful to them and will never forget it. And mm. to them, yeah. it was probably nothing, but to me, it was just changed – everything so and I people, people want people to help that's yeah. it I was just gonna yeah. say people want to help and yeah the thing is if you don't
2: sort of direct them
0: yeah you
2: get help that you don't really need you know whether yeah. it's 25 onesies or mm-hmm. unsolicited yeah. advice right if you can <laughs> harness you know your mother-in-law or whoever it is to do the things that they're good at doing yeah um it's so much better and they they really want to help like I I say to people who struggle with the idea of asking for help and feel cringy about it, which I totally get. Yeah, Think about how you feel when one of your friends says, you know, oh, hey, would you mind if, you know, whatever. I know that I feel like, yeah, of course, like I'd love yeah. to help. I'm so happy to be asked. It makes me feel special that you've asked, yeah. that you trust me yeah. enough. To ask me so you know it's a way to build intimacy with people too like leaning yeah. on your community we cannot do this alone and stay healthy mentally mm. or physically we really can't you have to learn to lean on people
0: but yeah that. what goes around comes around too though doesn't it mm. like you'll do it they'll do it for you yes. then they'll probably have a baby or they'll get sick or someone will pass away or something yeah. there'll be a time where they need you and then mm-hmm. you'll feel good that you can then give back to them in the yeah. way that they gave to you or vice. Versa. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you quickly on that topic about mm. meal train because I know that mm. like meals are something I'm super passionate about mm. and nourishing yourself um, in the postpartum um, because meal train is such an exceptional way of doing this without feeling bad I think mm. and it's something yeah. that I think we all do pretty well. Mm. Um, now, I but feel like
2: where yeah. I feel like us three, like where we're all about, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Onto it's a food, food podcast, you know, so we need to talk <laughs>
0: about the food. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Well, yeah. So I sort of I started my postpartum dual work in food delivery, mm-hmm. um, in Sydney, and I am about to release a postpartum cookbook, and I cook for my clients and. So to me, like, I, I'm so, I love to nerd out on how food can help in postpartum. It's mm-hmm. so fascinating to me that it can be so functional. Um, and I think any food is welcome in mm-hmm. postpartum. And then there's food that's really optimal for postpartum healing. Mm-hmm. But quite beyond that and the beyond the practical help that bringing someone a meal offers, it's psychologically so yeah. beautiful to feel held by your yes. community. Mm -hmm. and to feel supported in a way that is supportive rather than "Ah, 25 of us are turning up at your house and and you're (laughs) just so exhausted and everyone's overstayed their welcome. And, Mm, you know, having someone who can, you know, maybe in that first week it's just they're literally dropping a meal on the doorstep. They're not visiting or maybe it's a quick catch-up on the doorstep or maybe it's combined with a visit. But, yeah, a meal train. So, if anyone who doesn't know what a meal train is, it's basically a roster. People choose a date that they can bring a meal Um, and I think probably because I'd gone on so much about it in. Prior to having my second baby, my friends took it as a real challenge to like <laughs> go over above. And I got a friend to organize it for me because I still felt a little bit like, oh, I don't know. And I don't know. So I said, oh, would you mind, you know, setting it up? So she felt great about doing that. She yeah. set it all up. She got everyone's email addresses. They all got an invitation. Like there was no obligation. They could pick a date for themselves through a website called mealtrain.com. You can do it for, you know, if someone's going through anything.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, well, I think that's really important too. And I just had people dropping, it was in during COVID, people dropping the most beautiful, like homemade chicken mm. pies with beautiful. chocolate pudding and, you know, like just the most beautiful stuff. And even friends who were overseas interstate who wanted mm. to get involved they would pick a date and send us like an uber eats voucher yeah, great. Was so nice. it
1: was just beautiful like,
2: i actually didn't cook because i did fill two freezers full of food as well because <laughs> i had to of course <laughs> yeah um i didn't cook for three months like no wow. one in my family cooked for three we just were buying like you know bread and milk and fruit kind of thing yeah and everyone just fed us and I can't tell you, as someone who like food is my love language, yeah. Um, I was just like, oh, my God, I feel so loved and held yeah. and supported, which is really vital in postpartum. You don't want to feel alone and unsupported and isolated.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I love doing it for people as well, yeah. like making that meal and, you know, like putting it in a nice jar or, or you don't even have to do that, just making the meal and mm. it feels so special to be able to support someone in that way and to know how meaningful it is. And actually that was one of the, a gift that we got from a friend when Jude, my eldest was born. Um, It was a voucher for a meal delivery service, which kind of then eventually sparked the idea for our food business Um, because it was just the most supportive gift that we got. And we didn't even really know at that time that, it, how meaningful it would be so now to have the opportunity to do that for other people um it's I love it I just yeah, I love it too
2: so and I would like it's my dream I'd so love. like if I was queen of the world
1: I'd have like
2: <laughs> when community. you're queen of the world, <laughs> <laughs> when I'm queen of the world. <laughs> um I would love to have like community funded yes. meal trains for like whatever anyone's going through like it's sort of just part of the community care Someone's sick, someone's had a yes. baby, someone's had surgery, someone's distressed, mm. Yeah, let us create a roster for you. Like I just yeah. think one of I the think. nicest things you can do to feel really in your community and really supported. Yeah. And then, you know, the food is, you know, if you find great recipes, like, Luca, I know you're a big um, chicken liver fan as well. As many, <laughs> like, you know, the pâtés, the, the food that's so
1: helpful for yeah. healing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love, I love all that stuff as well. We'll, we'll yeah. definitely link your ebook because I'm sure that's full of nourishing recipes that people can, you know, even just like say, Hey, can you make this specific thing? Or like if you set up a meal train, you can put comments and be like, Buy Naomi's ebook
0: and then give <laughs> me anything from that. Thank oh. you
1: for doing my marketing for me. I
0: that. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, I think as well on the meal train, I think I said this in Oscar's episode, mm-hmm. we've, like, our friend group's got it down to a fine art now after, so there's, like, 20 kids now. It's pretty <laughs> hectic. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we've done it so well now that we just know that, like, it's okay to say, hey, don't come in, mm-hmm. like, just drop and run, and no one's offended by that. We know that it doesn't yep. mean it's a reflection mm-hmm. on our friendship or of them, it's just that. Today has not been a good day. So we have like a thing on the meal train that says if there's an esky out the front and the door's shut, that means we don't want to see you. And Mm. so it's not like we're texting that person being like, hey, don't come in. It's just like, oh, that's my visual cue. Mm. It's not been a good day. Um, And so we've kind of got that. We also have kind of like a rule, like don't bring the other kids if possible, like Mm. your other children, even though we love them. Like we don't want our house trashed and mm. you know it's just mm. chaos like especially mm-hmm. at meal time and dinner time it's when the meals are getting dropped off so just little things like that having that someone else do it like you said like another friend do it another person be the one mm. to set those rules and not you uh-huh. I think is really just takes a lot of that pressure off of that kind of hosting
2: mm. yeah. yeah
0: and yeah. then We's- so many people like bring other things like you're saying like They'll be like, do you need anything else from the shops while you're here? And like, oh, yeah, actually, I need some bread. Can you get me some or whatever? Mm-hmm. And that was just super helpful as well. Yeah,
2: we, um, we'd said on ours, like, we'll um, probably be resting, but feel free to text us on the way. And if we're up for a chat we'll let you know yep. so we kind of mm-hmm. had that option they would text and be like you know I'm going to drop it around at four o'clock and depending on how it was going it was like mm-hmm. okay cool you know we'll have a little chat or actually you know we're, we're resting um mm. nesting
0: I was, I was gonna say I I didn't put the SQ out <laughs> once so I was like come in <laughs> I'm lonely <laughs> but uh, I've definitely done some where the excuse has been out and it's been reciprocated yeah but um Yeah, I think the meal train is just such an amazing – there's so many ways you can help. I remember my mother-in-law also bought me a cleaner, like Mm, bought me a a cleaning (laughs) session, which was like an incredible gift and I always joke – my joke is that baby showers instead of gifts that everyone should put in for a robot vacuum. <laughs> that thing
2: is insane. <laughs> yeah. I was actually really proud of a friend of mine who she's pregnant at the moment and she, I got an invitation to her, um, like she did like a baby shower barbecue thing, and she said in the email, which went out to everyone, which I think a group email is a really yeah. nice way to set a boundary because it's, yep. it's not directed at any one person yep. in particular. It's just across the board. These are the expectations. Anyway, she was just like, here are all the details for everything. You know, we don't need any presents. If you would like to contribute to our postpartum fund, mm. which we'll be putting towards um, massage, cleaners, you know, um, food delivery, you know, feel free to contribute to that. Mm, uh, so it's like, like yes, yeah. I've trained you well. You've been yeah, because <laughs> <Yeah. Very lucky. laughs> yeah, that stuff really does make a difference. Like there's only so many onesies that you actually need and again it's about centering your needs like we're so we so want we so think about the baby and of course of course the baby is important but Mm -hmm. you know if you're okay chances are you Mm. know baby's gonna be okay too
0: so true I feel like we could chat to you all day about this because oh, we're obviously all really about <laughs> passionate about it, but we'll let you go. But thank you so much for joining us today and we'll be sure to link your new book and all of your resources in the show notes for anyone thank that wants to you. find And your you. cookies. Oh yeah, your amazing cookies! I have to send
1: you some, Kate. Won't say no.
0: (laughs) But we'll definitely
1: link those as well.
0: Yeah, thank Thank you, you Naomi. Guys, so nice to chat. Thank you for listening to Boo to Food, the podcast. We hope this episode made you feel inspired, confident, and less overwhelmed in your parenting journey.
1: Head to the show notes for all the resources mentioned on today's episode. And if you loved this podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate and review.
0: See you next week. Bye.